Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Okay, first let's start off with thanking, uh, first of all, today's a good friend of mine's brother-in-law's yard site. Uh, so we're going to donate the Shear, Le'el Nishmas Neshama, Reb Menachem Mendel Alevi Ben Shalom Alevi, Borchat, who's a very good friend of mine, Tobia Greisman, his brother-in-law. So the Shear should be as chus for all the people that are being mechazek today for him. And also, first I want to thank our corporate sponsor this week, uh, Dynamic Therapy, my very close friend, and Magad Shear, Reb Menachem Sanzer, who actually, the reason why this whole Shear came about, because Dr. Wickler joined us on a different session, and uh, when we saw Dr. Wickler's face, he said, get him on the program, get him on the program. I reached out to him and he gracefully said yes. And he said he's going he's gonna to sponsor the shir and give uh, him I also want to give special thanks to Mrs. Chaya Kao from Piyated, Matzah for sponsoring us. Also big shout out, big, big shout out to Lakewood LNN, Lakewood's most viewed status for being our advertising sponsor. I also want to give a big shout out to CR and RL and Mr. Lachman. Private joke. Okay, let's get started. Menachem, are you ready? Coach Menachem. I'm ready. Okay. Coach Menachem, open up. What does it sound like? Everything works? You hear sound me clear? Sound beautiful. Okay. So welcome everyone to the Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem show. I invite you all, if you feel comfortable, to come sit up front, open your videos so we can see you and it can be interactive. Last week, we got to hear from Rabbi Russell some deep and profound ideas about relationships overall and different perspectives, how to hold on in these trying times, everyone with their own thing and with their struggles. And this whole week, the feedback did not stop coming in from emails, the asking for the replays, clarification. I feel like I just finished the show with Rabbi Russell. And that's why I'm very excited to have tonight with us Dr. Wickler so that he can help us take it to the next level with some practical steps on how to implement these ideas and to take it to overall family dynamics and uh, financial stress or any other stress that many of us are grappling with in these days. And now, past few days, we're going back into another kind of transition. It's not stopping. And we're, Baruch Hashem, seeing some light at the end of the tunnel, but it is still a transition. Many people want to go back to what it was and forget about this whole COVID-19 thing. If they would have a choice, they would just go back to how everything was, forget about the whole thing. But this transition will be a little bit of a struggle for many, whether it's jobs, if you have one where to go to, the kids in school, when they go back, the Rebbe is probably gonna to wanna to start his curriculum where he's up to, but it's gonna take time. It's go, it, it is a transition. And everything else, just picking up the broken pieces being able to go back. Others are enjoying the way it is, and now when they hear things are opening up, 
they start feeling a little bit anxious. Things are slowly going back to life. Back, some people have a fear of going back to regular life, and they enjoyed when everything was shut down in the house. Actually, today was the first time after many weeks that I, I have not been in my shul, and I, I went to shul, and it was quiet. No one was there. I took out a Gemara. And, and I have to say, I really missed being in shul, even though we had minyanim, when we had minyanim, we were learning at home, davening at home, but it's something that I missed. After all, it's not the same. And after all we've gone through, it would be a waste if we don't take something out Everybody, something that they can learn and take with them. We should take a few moments to reflect what are the things that were shoved under the carpet till now and came out now during these trying times, these few weeks. Whether it's uh, realizing you want to take a parenting course or it's shalom bias, you want to enhance your shalom bias, take it to the next level, relationship with the kids, or if you need, you go for help, and how to enhance things. But you really have to believe things can be better. The reason why it was shoved under the rug, well, there's a reason for it. Whether you thought it's too painful to bring it on the table and discuss it, but we were forced into this. Nobody asked us, and we were pushed into our houses, and all of these things that were under the rug came out. So. It would be chaval not to take it to the next level. The pain, which we felt the pain a little bit, and we should use this pain to take it to growth. We should grow from it. Just like a caterpillar, caterpillar needs the push. It needs to push its way out through to the cocoon to get the strength. The same thing over here. Sometimes to go to the next level, we need to go through some pain, even though it's hard. And we might have pushed it off till now, but now many of us are in a situation that we have experienced the pain. Let's take it to the next level and grow from it. So hopefully tonight we'll get some tips from Dr. Wickler and uh, some of the questions that came in will be answered. Obviously we we'll, won't be able to answer all of them because Kanaina Hara were overloaded. Dr. Wickler for being with us tonight. Thank you, Coach Menachem. Beautiful opening. Before Dr. Wickler starts, I want to tell everybody Dr. Wickler is a psychotherapist, family counselor, full-time private practice and offices in Lakewood, Brooklyn. He's sought after speaker in the U.S., U.K., or Israel. He's published over 100 articles in various clinical journals, as well as popular uh, periodicals such as the Jewish Observer, Mishpacha Magazine. He's written over 12 books on marriage, parenting, psychotherapy, and stories of Ashkacha Pratis. So Dr. Wickler is uh, big out there. And I want to ask everybody to please join in. Wickler is going to open up. And whoever can turn on the camera, please turn on the camera. Whoever has questions, we, live, live, we love live questions. We love to make it interactive. He's here donating his time to be mechazak and to help people. And the more tzazamanist, the more together we can do it, it makes it so much more dynamic. He's here for us. So Dr. Wickler, the floor is yours. Thank you very much. You know, in uh, my list of Chastei Hashem that I was Zohar to in my life, 
at the very top of that list is the fact that for over 40 years, my family and I have been members of the Novominska-based Medrash in Borough Park. And one of the priceless opportunities that has afforded to me and my family was the opportunity to have a personal Kesher with the Novominska Rebbe Zetzal. In a private conversation that I had with him many years ago, he asked me a rhetorical question. He said, Mayor, what's the purpose of the mitzvah Bikurim? I knew it was a rhetorical question. He wasn't expecting me to answer it. He was going to answer it himself. And he said, the purpose of the mitzvah Bikurim is to demonstrate a karasatov. The Yiddish farmer comes to Yerushalayim, to the base of Migdash, with the first fruits, he presents him to the Kohen, and that's his way of demonstrating that he appreciates the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him the land of Eretz Israel and the produce of Eretz Israel. This is a very great demonstration of HaKadosh Baruch It's not an easy thing. The farmer could live a week or two weeks journey from Yerushalayim. He has to take the first fruits, put a red string around it, schlep it to Yerushalayim, give it to the Kohen. It's a very dramatic demonstration of a Korosotov. Why then is it necessary, he asked me, does the Yiddish farmer have to recite that whole long Mikra Bikurim that we have in the beginning of Parshish Kisobo that forms the, the, the skeleton of our Haggadah that we recite every year on Lil Pesach? Doesn't it demonstrate enough of to bring the Bikurim to the base of Mignesh? So he answered his own question. He said, yes, it's very important. It's very necessary to demonstrate a Karasatov. But when it comes to the Indian of a Karasatov, demonstrations are important, but they're not sufficient. It's also necessary to open your mouth and express your gratitude. And that's the lesson we're supposed to learn from the mitzvah Bikurim, from the Mikra Bikurim. Demonstrations of appreciation are important, but a person needs to, to learn how to open his mouth and say thank you and express it in words. Now, it's a very relevant thought. First of all, we know that one of the many names of Shavuos was Chaka Bikurim, because Shavuos was the first time that the Bikurim could be brought in the base of Migdash. And also, I think it's relevant to what we're all going through now, because I don't think it'd be a very controversial statement to say that one of the critical ingredients in Klal Yisrael being Zeicha to Kabbalah Torah was the Achdas of Klai Yisrael. Ki'ish echod belev echod. And as we're now in the run-up to Shavuos, getting ready not only for cheesecake, I'm sure we're all ready for cheesecake, but getting ready for Kabbalah Torah, our own personal Kabbalah Torah on Shavuos, I think it'd be worthwhile for us to think about what we could do to enhance the Achdus, not only of Kalei Yisrael, 
but the beginning at the very basic level in our families. And I think this thought from the Novominsky Rebbe is very applicable. The way to enhance achdus, and especially now, some families have gone through stress, and maybe there's less achdus than they had before. Some families may be more unified than they were before. But whichever category your family is in, Besser is Nishkashir. There's always room for improvement. And in these last few days before Shavuos, we need to think about what we can do to enhance the Achtas in our families. And I believe that one of the things that enhances the Achtas in families is a Karasatov, expressions of gratitude. And I believe that being Maketov is the lubricant that kind of smooths out the rough edges in relationships in general, and especially in families. And I'm not just talking about between husband and wife, which is certainly important, but even between parents and children. And while I'm on the subject of parents and children, I'm not just referring to children being makatov to the parents, which of course is very important, but I hope this won't be too controversial, but I do believe that parents should be makatov to children. Children have chores, they have responsibilities, they have things they have to do. And parents can express gratitude and appreciation to the children fulfilling their responsibilities. And if parents and children express more akarasatov to each other, and husbands and wives learn how to express their thank yous to each other, that's gonna go a long way to enhancing our achdus and getting us ready for Kabbalah Sator and Harsinai. Now, when we're talking about being makatov and expressing gratitude, is a very important issue that I think is often overlooked. And that's what I call partial credit. Now, I'd like to explain what I mean by partial credit, and then I'll give a practical example of how this applies in our homes today. When I was a kid, Yeshiva Katana, and the Rebbe announced the Bechina. So there were three questions my classmates and I always asked the Rebbe. Rebbe, Rebbe, is it going to be an open Gemara test or a closed Gemara test? We always liked the open Gemara test because we figured if we didn't know the answer, we could look it up in the Gemara. Of course, in actuality, those are always the, the tougher Bechinas. Because if you didn't know the Gemara by the time of the Bechina, you weren't going to make a landing on it right there in the middle of the Bechina. The second question we always had was, is it going to be multiple choice of fill-ins? I don't know about you, but we always liked the multiple choice Bechinas. Because then, even if you didn't know the right answer, you could guess, and maybe you'd get lucky and get the right answer. The third question we always asked was, when the Rebbe grades the Bechina, is he going to give us partial credit? What does partial credit mean? It means if the answer was Rav Yochanan and we put down Reish Lakish. So we understood the sugya, we got mixed up between the Manda Amrim. So if there's 10 questions on the Bechina, don't take off all 10 points. Take off five, take off six, seven, eight, but give us at least partial credit. If the right answer was Beis Shammai, we wrote Beis Hillel. We still understood the sugya. We got mixed up who held what. Give us partial credit. That's what I mean by partial credit. Now, just like we wanted partial credit when we were being graded in our beginners, 
we have to learn how to give partial credit to our B'nai bias. Yes, your wife made you a sandwich and you asked for lettuce and tomato. And there was lettuce, but no tomato. So she made you a sandwich. She worked hard to make it for you. All you're going to say is, where's the tomato? How about giving a partial credit for all the effort that she did? And it's not only between parents and husbands and wives, also between parents and children. Children need to hear approval from their parents, even if they didn't do a perfect job, they didn't do a complete job. Now, I know Reb Usher has muted everybody's microphone now, but even though we can't hear what everybody is saying, I can hear what some of you are thinking. That's what therapists can do. They can hear people's thoughts. And I can hear you thinking right now, this schmeck for not be courses. This psychologist is Aachen here. What are you talking about? Does that mean when I tell my kid to pick up the toys in the playroom and he picks up half the toys, I'm supposed to give him credit for giving up half the toys? What kind of chedach is that? I'm supposed to teach my child if they ask him to do something, is he supposed to do something? He's got to do it all the way. That's my job as a parent. This doesn't sound like a, a Torah concept to me, this partial credit. Psychologist is Aachen here. What's going on? So... I don't know where everyone's sitting right now, if they're in their Svarmshtib or not, and maybe they don't have a Gemara Kedushin handy, but I do, and I'd like to just read to you what the Gemara Kedushin says on Daf Mem Omet Aleph. Gemara says as follows, A person has good intentions, but didn't fulfill it. He still gets credit. How do we see that? Shenemar, it's the Pasuk and Malachi. Az nidbaru yirei Hashem, ish al-reyehu. Then one man will talk to another and refute the claims of the Apikorsim. The Yakshev Hashem v'yishma, and the Kaddish Baruch will hear that conversation. The Yichtov, Seif Zikaron Lafana, then he'll write in his memorial book before him. The book, what book? L'yirei Hashem l'chosh v'yishmo. To those who have had Yerushimayim, and those who think about his name. What do you mean, think about his name? So the Gemara asks, Ma'il chosh ve'shemo. What does it mean people who think about Hashem's name? Is it the same as Yerushimayim? No. The Gemara says, Amar Ravasi. Ravasi said, Afilu chishev adam lasos mitzvah. A person planned to do a mitzvah. He had serious intentions about doing it. Venanas, he was prevented through no fault of his own. And he did not do the mitzvah. The Torah gives him credit as if he had done the mitzvah. Now, I think that is a very real source for giving partial credit. A person planned to do a mitzvah, tried to do the mitzvah. He didn't do the mitzvah. He didn't complete the job. But in Shemayim, they give him credit. I don't know how much credit. I don't know if it's full credit, if it's half credit, but at least it's partial credit. And maybe it is full credit. I don't know. Murr doesn't say. But he gets credit even though he didn't do it. He didn't complete the mitzvah. He didn't finish the job. He gets partial credit. Now, I promised you a practical application. Now, this sounds very theoretical. So let me give you an example that I think we can all relate to. 
This is one of my pet topics. Some people who are listening now may have even heard me speak about this before, because I think it's very critical when we talk about being marketed to also be able to give partial credit. And I spoke about this a number of years ago to a group of ladies. And at the end of the talk, some ladies came over to comment to me afterwards. And uh, one lady came over to me and she said, you know, the part in your talk about partial credit, I want you to know, Dr. Wickle, when I heard that, it went through me like a knife. I thought, three, that's an unusual way of putting it. If she had said to me, it was a novel idea, it was a Kiddush, interesting concept, I would have expected that perhaps, but she said it went through her like a knife, I didn't know what she meant. Other people were coming over to comment to me, and this woman was waiting on the side. After everybody left, she came back. She said to me, Dr. Wickler, when I told you how I felt about your talk, you looked a little confused. I said, yes, I was. She said, let me explain to you what I meant when I said it went through me like a knife. She said, you know, I have a part-time job. I work three days a week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. That means I only have two days a week to do all the shopping, cooking, and cleaning for Shabbos. So it's a big challenge for me to make Shabbos every week. So as a result, it's hard enough for me to make Shabbos for my family. We can't have guests, it's just too much. But two weeks ago, we were having guests, and not just for a Suda, and not just one guest. We're having a whole family, and they were staying over the whole Shabbos. So you can imagine how much extra pressure I was under to get ready for these guests. And it was in the winter, so I didn't even have it two full days. I only had a day and a half. So I was very anxious about it. And I got up Friday morning. I still had a lot of work to do to get ready for Shabbos. And I came downstairs. And I was ready to get started on preparing for Shabbos. And I walked into the dining room. And I saw the whole dining room table was set. The tablecloth was on, china, stemware, cutlery, becher, Shabbos, challah board, challah, everything was there. And then I looked and I saw the napkins. Now we use paper napkins, she said, in our home. And we use fancy napkins on Shabbos. And I looked and my husband had put down weekday napkins. I realized he had gotten up early before shul on Friday to set the table to make it easier for me. He realized I was under a lot of pressure for the guests and he wanted to help me out. And before he went to Davin, he set the whole table to Shabbos. Then I went into the kitchen and I saw he put up the urn and I looked behind it and I saw the urn wasn't plugged in. No hot water on Shabbos in the winter with sleepover guests. That means no hot tea after the Suda. No coffee Shabbos morning. I would have been Mavuza as a hostess with no hot water for the whole Shabbos. So my husband came back from shul after davening. What do you think the first thing I said to him when he walked in the door? Don't you know we don't use these napkins on Shabbos? These are the weekday napkins. What were you thinking? And not only that, what about the urn? In the kitchen, it's a good thing I noticed it wasn't plugged in. Could you imagine how mavuzah I would have been with no hot water on Shabbos? And when I finished my tirade, 
my husband turned to me and said, first of all, as far as the urn goes, I didn't plug it in on purpose because we have a very small urn and it heats the water up very hot. And I was afraid if we're going to plug it in Friday morning, by the time Shabbos comes, half of it's going to be cooked out. We're not going to have enough hot water for our guests. So I deliberately didn't plug it in in order to plug it in when I come home from work. So we'll have at least the full urn for Shabbos. And secondly, the fact that I used the wrong paper napkins when I set the table for Shabbos, that's the only thing you noticed about the table? Did I use the wrong napkins? It was a rhetorical question. She didn't answer. He didn't make another comment. He went to work. She got busy in the kitchen. The guests came. They had a wonderful Shabbos. She forgot about the whole episode until two weeks later. She came to my talk, and I spoke about the importance of giving partial credit. And then I understood why it went through her like a knife. She said, Dr. Wickler, I'm so embarrassed and so ashamed of myself that I didn't give my husband partial credit, partial credit, everything he did to try to help me out, give me a hand. We're having sleepover guests for Shabbos. I want you to know the very first thing I'm going to do when I come home tonight is apologize to my husband. Now, it's been a few years since I gave that talk, and I still have not yet received a check from the husband thanking me for straightening out his wife. But I'm hoping that perhaps at this wonderful platform, maybe he's one of the many listeners tonight, and he'll realize the toiva that I did for him in straightening out his wife, teaching her how to give him partial credit, and maybe then I'll finally get a check in the mail thanking me for that. Thank you, Robert Wickler. It could have been my wife, I'm not sure. <laughs> All right, everybody, please, anybody wants to ask live questions, please come on, ask live questions. I have uh, one person who's ready to ask a live question. I have a bunch of questions that got sent in. Um, should we do a poll first just to take a little break? Should we take a little poll? Just get a little people interested a little bit? Yeah. That's up to you. It's your show. Okay, let's do a poll. Oh, it's saying I'm in the device. Are you signing? I know. I'll go ahead. Okay, let's skip that for a sec. Okay. Okay, let's get what's his name on. Um, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Is that losing? Maybe, maybe let uh, Menachem, Coach Menachem answer first, give you two minutes to, to rest, Dr. Wickler, and you'll take the question a second, okay? Is that a good idea? Fine with me. I'm ready. Jeremy, are you on? One second. I think so. All right, Jeremy. Yeah. Welcome. What do you have to ask us tonight? So the question is as follows. With our children at home, hi, Dr. Wickler, thank you for being on. Um, with our children at home 24-7, I feel like I'm constantly breaking up their squabbles, arguments, fights, which is really getting out of hand. Do you have any recommendations that would make it any easier to deal with sibling rivalry? Let, let, let Coach Manaka go first and then Dr. Wickle, if that's okay. Fine. Fine first of all, I would like to give you credit for you probably managed till now, past few weeks. 
How did you vanish past few he weeks? He me specifically. It's not his, it's not his issue. It's Yenem. So it's, we're not talking to him specifically. Right. It's been many weeks now and you probably figured out something. But um, the question is, what happens when you're not around? Because that's the first thing that comes into my mind. Sometimes when you're there, you want to make sure that everything is perfect, everyone is happy, everyone is doing the right thing, and they're not fighting. So you're trying to make sure when you see something starting over here, you make sure it doesn't happen. You're like putting out those small fires, and then there's a fight. You try to make sure they forgive each other, you take care of it. What happens if you go away for a few minutes, you go to the bathroom, and let's see what happens. But usually it's not so bad and you let them fight it out and uh, they learn. They learn a little bit of, you know, they fight and which is normal and then they figure things out. They might be upset, crying and you go on. I think it's part of uh, what kids uh, need. And it's also very important to know how much of a helicopter parent we are to be on top of it the whole time to make sure that everything's exactly the way we want. Nobody should be upset. That's the first thing that comes into my mind. Maybe Dr. Wickler could uh, have a different uh, solution. Well, I, I'm going to disappoint you, uh, Rebbe Nachum, Let's because go. I happen to agree with you wholeheartedly. So uh, I, I'm not going to offer an alternative, wow. but, uh, but I'll add to what you said, that the typical response of most parents is to try to arbitrate and adjudicate and settle the, the differences. Well, who started and how did it start? And what's your, what do you have to say about it? And you're older, you should know better. And parents try to become investigators, detectives and prosecutors uh, and judges and juries all together and try to, try to uh, resolve the conflict. But I, I agree with you, Rebbe Nachum, that parents should be less involved and allow the children to resolve things for themselves. And the only point I would add is that when parents do step in and try to serve as adjudicators, judge and jury, they're planting the seeds for the next quabble tomorrow because they're gonna end up defending one child and reprimanding the other child. The child that gets reprimanded is gonna feel that they're on the outs and they're gonna be more resentful to the child who was defended. And this it's gonna only intensify the rivalry and the conflict rather than de-intensify it. So I agree with you 100%, Rabbi Nachum, that parents are better off getting less involved. And when they come running, it's best to say, I wasn't there, I didn't see it, I'm sorry. Okay, you ready for the next question, Dr. Wickler? Sure. Okay, let me put her on. Here we go. Hi, how are you? Hi, okay, you hear me? Loud and clear. Okay, great. Um, this is actually the first time I'm on the show, but um, I've heard of you, um, Dr. Wickler. Um, I've read your book, one of them at least. Um, so this is my question. I have, um, Baruch Hashem, five 
children ranging in nine years old to 22 year old twins. Um, obviously with this pandemic, everyone has um, had their plans upended. My twins were supposed to go to learn in Yisrael. My daughter's supposed to graduate and be a head counselor, whatever it is. I know that my kids need a lot, a lot of attention and time and validation. And um, I am grateful that I'm very close to each of them. I talk to them. They talk to me. Um, my husband is around also, but he's not as, I guess, emotional or loving um, as, as I am. And I am close to all my kids. My question is this. Um, I work full time. I do accounting. So my eight-hour day is now... Um, four hours or less, even though it might take me eight hours because my children are constantly, constantly interrupting my work. I do feel that because of what's going on, they do need me, but I feel like I, I'm missing a piece of myself. I have deadlines and I am wondering if you can help me out with What's okay to set boundaries? I in the regular world, I know, um, but because of this pandemic, um, I don't know because I do realize that my kids do need me a lot more. Um, and my second question is that even though my kids do help me a lot, I have no cleaning help now. Um, they do have their jobs. I make them responsible. They are independent and they're helpful. How much? can I push them to help me even more? Um, so those are my questions. Okay. But did you start admitting it? Dr. Wickler, she sounds to me like half the ladies I know. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think your, your dilemma is shared by many, many people. And uh, I, I wish I had a, a, a panacea and a quick fix to solve everything for you, which unfortunately I don't. But I can offer you a few uh, suggestions that might be a little helpful. First of all, um, I think regarding the, the chores, everyone understands that this is an unusual situation. This is not the norm and that there are additional pressures. And I, I think children of all ages can understand that everyone has to pitch in a little bit more than they normally do. And everyone can be expected to do a little bit more than they normally do because it's unusual circumstances. So you can ask your children to pitch in and help a little bit more than they normally do. They see at all ages, at all levels, the things are very different now than they usually are. As far as the, the, the structuring goes and giving you more time to do what, what you have to do, I think that even though the kids are at home, that trying to structure the day in time is very important. Even small children can know this is play time, this is nap time, this is time for bath, this is time for eating, this is time to play outside, this is time to play inside. Even though they can't tell time, but even young children can know that there are certain times for certain things and other times for other things. There are certain times that mommy's available, certain times she's not. There are times you can knock on the door, you can come in with your questions, but there are certain times that mommy cannot be interrupted unless it's an emergency, but it can't be an emergency every 10 minutes. So there has to be a structure. And 
everybody is more productive and calmer when they know what to expect. They know between these hours, they have to learn with their Rebbe or on the phone with their teacher, their Morim. This is the time you can play this game. This is the time you can do that. In addition, preparation goes a long way to maximizing efficiency in any system. So when we try to, to come up with solutions at the last minute, they're never as good as when they're done in advance. I know families, for instance, where they know they're coming up even before the pandemic started. They know there's going to be a time when they're not going to be available. They're going to be busy with something, whether it's a, a, a chore or a medical uh, issue or whatever it is, parents are not going to be so available. And they prepare for that by preparing projects, special games, special uh, toys that can be only used at that time. And children can be very busy and occupied with things that they only can use at certain times. I know, for example, when we used to take long car trips, when my kids were smaller. So we would go around before the trip and take some of the favorite toys and they would disappear. And the kids say, where's this toy? Oh, it must be around the house somewhere. We'll find it. And where's that toy? Oh, I don't know where it is. We'll, we'll find it, play with something else. And we took those special toys and we put them in a special bag and we took them in the car and we went on the long trip. When things started to get a little impatient of how long we're going to get there, when are we going to get there? All of a sudden, when those special toys came out of the bag and they were so excited to have that special toy, it kept them busy for an hour and then we had another special toy. And before you know it, we arrived at our destination. And you can do the same thing with your children. It doesn't have to be a special toy. It can be a project. It can be an activity. But thinking ahead, the kind of things that they might enjoy, saying tomorrow between four and, and five, you'll do the painting. Tomorrow between two and three, you'll, you'll work on, the, on, on baking the cake or something, or sewing something or building something. But only during that time. You want to do it more later? You'll have to wait for another time. This is the time that you're allowed to do that. Then they look forward to it. They're excited about it. They're interested in it. And they can be so engrossed in that activity that they can leave you alone to get to your accounting work. So I, I hope that's helpful. Yeah, thank you very much. You're very welcome. And, I would, uh, I would I, just add, yeah. um, I would ask you, what would you need to do for yourself to get back that piece that you feel you're missing? because this is something that we've spoken before in other shows, the self-care is very, very important. You're taking care of the whole family, giving everybody what they need. But the question is, are you giving yourself what you need? That few minutes, something, if it's going out, if taking a walk, exercise, whatever it is, so you can have a few minutes off, so you can um, recharge and come back. That's, yeah, that, that's something it. that I struggle with tremendously. Thank you. You. Don't, you don't have to give me an answer. You can <laughs> think about it, come up with a few ideas, and then commit to doing them. I know it might be hard. Some, you know, some, some uh, parents, they feel we have to give and give and give, and take for ourselves is not really our place. 
um, I shouldn't really be taking care of myself. But the only way you can continue doing what you're doing is if you can take a few minutes off, recharging, and then coming back. Thank you. Okay, I don't want to speed it up, but we're getting a lot of questions that people want to come on, and it's getting a little levitic. So, Dr. Wickler, whenever you whenever you're done, just you know, give me the wink so I know because we're we'll starting to go into hyper mode. Are you okay with that? I'm fine. I'm fine. Bushy, can I put? Can I? Should I put up the first poll that we have? Does I can it work? Put... Are you able to put it up? Um, let's let's see if it works. Tell me, did did you do you see it? Yes, it's on the screen. Okay, let me read the poll. This is just an interesting poll. We want to fill it out over here. Question goes like this. Everybody could choose it's anonymous and we're doing this because we want to get a feel of the crowd. Do you feel you express adequate appreciation to your spouse? Is it yes or no? Second question, do you feel you express adequate appreciation to your children? Yes or no? Let's see, come on, everybody vote. I need to see the screen. Nathan, you see the results? Coming in, it's coming, coming in. Coming in, come on, five. For the few people that are still embarrassed because they think we know who they are, but you can't see it's anonymous. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna spam them afterwards and tell them to go get therapy immediately. Okay, Menachem, share the results. We want to see it. So let me go end polling and let's share it. Wow. Forty-one percent of people feel like they do give adequate appreciation, while fifty-nine percent say they don't. So my so most people here are no, you know, they don't. And do you feel you give an adequate appreciation to your children? Most people say they think they do, while well, well, 40 percent say not. You see that? Dr. Wickley, you'll have to give us some ideas. It's very interesting. Very interesting results of the poll. Yeah. Um, I'm not surprised that the, the second question most people feel they give adequate appreciation to their children. Um, I, I would be interested to know if the children feel the same way. <laughs> Should we wake up the kids and ask them to take the poll? No, but I also thought it was very interesting the first question that uh, the majority of the people who answered the poll said they don't feel they give enough appreciation to their spouse. And uh, that reminds me of a something that a dear friend of mine said to me uh, many years ago about maybe it's uh, 35, 40 years ago. Uh, unfortunately, Rahman al he lost his wife very suddenly uh, after a very, very brief illness. Actually, it was in two days, I think, from, from one to the other, she was gone. And uh, I was, he lived out of town. I was, I could only be Menachem him over the phone. And uh, he spoke to me after the shiva and he said to me, could I do him a favor? I said, what's that? Sure, I'd love to do him a favor to do whatever I could to be Mechazakim. He said, you speak publicly to audiences around the country. Could you do me a favor? Whenever you speak about marriage, could you, remind people how important it is to express appreciation to your spouse. He said, because the one thing that hurts me so much now that his wife had passed away was that he lost the opportunity to express appreciation to her. He can't do it anymore. 
And this is somebody I know who was always thanking his wife. Whenever I saw the two of them together, he was always praising her and thanking her constantly. And yet, what pained him most about the, the tear of his wife was that he lost the opportunity to tell her how much he appreciated her. And he wanted me to share that with others, to tell them, do it now while you still have the chance, while your spouse is still alive, because I wish I could do it and I can't do it anymore. So that's what came to my mind when I saw the poll and how many spouses feel that they don't express adequate appreciation to their spouse. On the second question that you brought up a very interesting idea to ask the kids. I'm actually getting some feedback right now, which the kids are up and the parents answered yes and the kids are answering no. <laughs> so what's, what's the discrepancy over there? What's missing? Okay, I'll tell you. Um, most parents think they do a pretty good job of parenting. And the thought that they're not such good parents or there's room for improvement is a very, very unsettling thought for most parents because all parents love their children, all parents want the best for their children, and all parents are being most nefesh constantly to do anything and everything they can for their children. So they're providing for them physically and they assume that they're also providing for them emotionally. But unfortunately, it's much easier for most parents to provide the physical needs, provide them their meals, to, to pay for their schar limit, to buy them the things they need. It's much easier for most parents to take care of the children's physical needs than sometimes it is the emotional needs. You know, I say to a lot of people who are struggling with this and have a hard time accepting and giving appreciation, I say to them, tell me something. Would you consider yourself fluent in English? And they look at me, of course, we're talking English, but yeah, I'm not fluent in English. And then I ask them, how did you learn to speak English? I, said, I heard it growing up. How does anyone learn a language? I said, that's not how people learn a language. If that's all you needed to learn a language, then I'd be fluent in Hungarian now. I can't speak a word of Hungarian. But I live in Borough Park, and there's plenty of people speaking Hungarian in Borough Park. I hear it all the time, but I, don't, I can't speak it. That's not how children acquire language. They say, okay, so, so how did I learn to speak language, speak English? I said, you learned it because that's what the language that was spoken to you. You can't speak Japanese because your parents didn't speak to you in Japanese when you were growing up. They spoke to you in English. That's how you learned English. Not because you heard it, because it was spoken to you. Now that's a mushal. The nimshal is that when it comes to the emotional language of feelings like appreciation and gratitude and approval, it's very hard to speak that language if it wasn't spoken to you. And a lot of us grew up in homes where it was much, much uh, 
more frequent, that we heard criticism from our teachers, from our rebellion, and from our parents. The negative was much more free-flowing. That was considered part of chinuch. That was part of how people, most, many people were raised, especially in, in Western society. We're much more comfortable and familiar with negativity, criticism, and disapproval than we are with expressing positive feelings of appreciation and gratitude. So it's very hard for parents to, to give over and to speak to their children in an emotional language that they didn't hear when they were growing up. So they may be praising their children and giving them appreciation and gratitude much more than they did when they were growing up. So that's why they give themselves good marks when it comes to the poll on expressing appreciation. But the children still may feel that they need more or they would like more. Now, it doesn't mean that the parents are doing something wrong. It doesn't mean that children are ever gonna be totally satisfied, but it doesn't surprise me that the children would want more than the parents feel that they're really giving. And that's my assessment. Very nice, beautiful. Okay, let's go further. You ready, Dr. Wickler? I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm okay. this. Elio, <laughs> floor is yours. Hi, Dr. Wickler, thank you so much. I was listening tonight, I'm really, really enjoying. Thank you. Um, I just, I have a question for you. Um, I've been speaking to a lot of my friends recently and it seems that a lot of them are, are grappling with the same challenge. You know, for those, of, um, for those of us that are at home, Baruch Hashem, not experiencing any loss or illness, Baruch Hashem, and, you know, have pretty good shalom bias, some better than others, but, you know, more or less on the spectrum of good, there's a very significant challenge that, you know, usually the husband is by and large out of the house. And when he comes home, he gives his wife a significant amount of time, but generally, He's out of the house, and it's his, his role is more out of the house. So for a lot of people, for sure, my age and stage, it's just a little bit confusing for us. Like, our role is a little bit, like, the roles are very confused now. So I'm just curious if you have any um, tips how to reset that balance or bring it a little bit closer to normal. I'm not really sure what you're asking. If you could just sharpen the question a little bit. Sure. Uh, I, it's not the problem is it's not a, it's not a very specific question but like the the challenge is that for, that a lot of people have a very a very clear defined role when in normal life and you know exactly what you're supposed to be doing men are generally not home so then you know that when you come home if the more you, there's a certain amount of time that you have and you try to give more to your wife as much as you could but the balance is like usually you know exactly what's expected of you. So a lot of people my age are, my, my stage I should say, are, are, are very confused. They're home a whole day now. They feel they need space. They don't want too much space. They want to be giving their, they want to take advantage of the time. Everyone's saying take advantage of the time. But how much is too, like, you also need some time for yourself. It's, it's very confusing for some of Can I sharpen the question a little bit? Sure. I think what he's saying, maybe I could resonate a little bit, is that he's saying that normally, no, not me personally, obviously, somebody else, the neighbor, 
it could resonate with the point is that normally there's everything is a structure, right? We wake up in the morning, we have on chakras, we go to work, we do our thing, we come home, an hour, we give the kids a kiss, we go out to my blah, 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 blah. Everything works in a certain box. Now that the whole schedule is a little bit subbootled, so on one hand, he has a lot more time with his wife and his kids. On the other hand, he feels different because he feels like he doesn't have a space, how to make the best of it. It's like, it's like, it's like the role is complex. He's half a mother now, which he's not used to. So how does he take that, I guess, and make it better and grow his marriage? That's what I'm understanding. Okay. Elio, am I way off? Yeah, no, no, you're very good. Okay. Thank you. My, my, my master's degree. Okay. <laughs> Ramusha, that was helpful. So my, my response to that is that what everybody is experiencing now is a sudden transition to a whole new set of circumstances and conditions that we're not used to. It's very different and very strange. And the goal is to try to make things to work as smoothly as possible and to, to satisfy everybody as much as possible with, within the limitations. And the best way you can do that and the advice I have for you and your friends who are in the same boat is that you're going to need to be very open and have an honest conversation with your spouse about what she expects from you, what you expect from her, what she would like from you, what you would like from her. And you're going to need to have regular meetings with each other to check in and say, how am I doing? How are you doing? Where do we need to adjust? How is this working for you? How is it working for me? What, how can we do this better? You know, um, one of the things that I find that creates the greatest friction in marriage with the couples that I work with is when people make assumptions and then act on those assumptions as if they were accurate and correct instead of doing what I often encourage people to do, to ask, don't assume, ask, is this what you want? Is that the way you wanted it? What would you have wanted me to do differently? Why did that bother you? How can I make it better? How's it going now? Do you see an improvement? Is it better than last week? And those kinds of conversations need to be happening on a more often on a regular basis. And I, I would submit that if you and your friends sit down with your spouses on a regular basis, every day or so, and say, how's it going? How's this working out? How, how, how am I doing? The, the former uh, mayor of, uh, of New York, Ed Koch, used to say, how am I doing? He used to send to the crowd, how am I doing? How am I doing? Well, that's what I think husbands and wives need to be saying to each other, even more now, during the lockdown and the pandemic, to ask each other, how am I doing? What would you mm -hmm. want me to do differently? And how can we make this work? Thank you so much. And thanks You're for the welcome. practical idea. Nachum, I want to hear Nachum's take on this one also. And thank you for your question. Thank you. Wow, so we just, hear, we just heard all about the skill of open communication which a lot of people are having a hard time. And when things are regular, um, we manage without it. But now this is part of what we're all learning 
we're all learning new things about ourselves, about our spouses, and we need to have open communication because without it, you're going to hit a wall. So thank you, Dr. Wickler, for that. And I would just add that it's okay to have some time off. I'm, I think they teach this for all the Hassanim and the Kalas, and especially now, which a lot got married, and they're under one roof 24-7, and they're probably struggling and having a hard time. She's not going to Shachas Mechemayr. She doesn't have her time. She can't cook, and he's there. And so it is very important to have time together, and it, the same amount or whatever it is, each one of you, you have to have some time off, and it's okay. Nothing against anybody. You need a few minutes. You can go out, go into your car, take a drive, take a walk all by yourself. And uh, nobody should get offended. We need time together and time off. Beautiful. Sorry, Dr. Wick, I'm going to put the pressure on now, okay? Sorry. Sure. There's one person I wanted to ask, but I'm jumping in front of her. I'm sorry. Please be mindful me. It's an interesting question because a lot of things are changing now. And this question came in and actually it's intriguing me. Um, right now, the, the, the constant safeguards between yes, Corona, not Corona, yeah, inviting people, not inviting people, we're all, me personally, I'm going crazy, okay? Because I don't know, yeah, no, yeah, no, we're not, it's over, we're cured, everybody's confused. So this is the question. I feel like my husband is too chilled out about the safety guidelines, and I would like him to take more seriously for himself and our children. How could I convince him to be more careful? That's question A. There's a sub-question to that, which somebody else asked, but it's a similar question. How much responsibility does a wife have in making sure the husband keeps safeguarding rules for Corona? So it's not only the Corona rules, I'm not going to get into that, but more as a spouse, one to another, I'm super mocked on something and he's not. Obviously, Corona is the hot topic, but how do we deal with that? Okay. So um, since you're not the one asking the question, so I can't follow up. Well, I, I just went to two kiddushes this week, so it's not me personally, but. <laughs> so what, what we don't know is uh, how the husband is, to what extent he's not following the guidelines. Is he just not wearing a mask? Is he, uh, is he not keeping social distancing? Is he uh, getting together in large crowds? Exactly what is he doing that the wife feels uh, he shouldn't be doing? And we don't know how irresponsible he is or how responsible she is. But my response to that question is that um, it sounds to me like she's looking to me to be an arbitrator, to be the kasaf ashlishi she benehem. And what I advise couples that I work with who have any kind of disagreement between each other is that if they're going to consult the third party, whether it's me or anyone else, there's only two choices for the role that that third party can play in helping the couple resolve the conflict. One choice is they can serve as an arbitrator. An arbitrator is the like a a dayan, a judge, most rabbanim will serve as arbitrators. There's a man chasaran to arbitration. The mila is you can settle it in one setting, one sitting. The chasaran is that at least one party feels that the arbitrator 
didn't understand the situation properly. And it's, a, it's an attempt to get the third party to decide with one side against the other. Even Dr. Wickler said you should listen. That's what you're looking for. So I tell couples who come to me that if you're looking for an arbitrator, you came to the wrong address. Because I don't believe that's the most effective way to resolve differences between husband and wife. It's not about right and wrong. It's about respecting each other's point of view and trying to negotiate with each other. And if you turn it to a third party, the third party needs to, to serve as a mediator, not an arbitrator. Now there's a man of concern with mediation. The concern is you can't do it in one sitting and you can't do it with one question on, let's get real with Coach Menachem. It's gonna take sitting down yourselves or with a third party to learn the skills of communicating more effectively with each other and respecting each other's point of view, respecting your husband's needs for, for greater freedom, your needs for greater safety, and try to see how you can negotiate those with each other and come to some workable compromise that you can both live with. Coach Menachem, you want to chime in? No. I want to do that poll, Menachem. I want to do the poll with the stressors. Which one is stressing people out? Let's do that, guys. This is an interesting poll. Coach Menachem put this together. I want to see the results on this one. Dr. Wick, you're going to like this one. Okay. I'll it's going to gear where we're going. Okay. Everybody click on the speaker view so you can see the question. The question is, since COVID-19, what is your number one stressor? Choice number one, is it relationships? Choice number two, finances? Choice number three, family dynamics? Choice number four, health issues? Or choice number five, I am as calm as can be. Never been happier. Menachem. Yeah, what's going on over there? The sending it in. One minute. Should I take a bet? What do you think? Let's hear. I'd say financial, personally. I would get. Well, wait a second. How many people do you think are calm and are just enjoying? There are quite a few people that wanted to ask a question over the, the past few weeks that they've never been happier in their life. Okay. Okay. Two, share the two more seconds. Come on, share the results. Wow, let me see the results. Dr. Wickler, you see those results? Yes, I do. Relationships, 21%. Finances, 12%. Wow, I was totally wrong. Family dynamics, kids, 36%. Health issues, 30%. I'm as calm as to be as a 25%. So family dynamics, that's why you're here tonight. I, I guess if it was an election, family dynamics won. By landslide. Yeah. <laughs> So okay. I guess we're on the right track. Definitely on the right track. Okay, I'm going to ask this one, and then I'm going to push it to some more, some more live ones, because it's also a good question. We sort of covered it, but I want to get a more detailed answer. Maybe Coach Menachem will go first short, and Dr. Wickler, and let's try to get a few more questions, because we have to wrap it up soon. You ready? Yep, I'm ready. I know for some, things are beginning to open up, but in our home, everything is still very stressed out. My husband is still working from home, the schools are still closed, and we still don't know what will be with camp. Do you have any suggestions for how we could deal with these ongoing stressors? Okay, so that's one of the things that I mentioned before. We're having a hard time with transition. And we're this transitioning to the other way, being able to go out, and it's going to take time. And again, many people want to go back to, think, to whatever it was before COVID-19, and they want to forget about everything. 
but um, I believe for those who were struggling till now, it's, it's still going to be a struggle. <clears throat> it's not going away so fast. It's going to be a transition and it will take time. So the first thing I would say is the way you manage till now, and you probably have, you heard the, the, all the tips and all the things that you needed to be able to, to, um, to cope. So you'll have to stick on to those things for a little bit more. That's number one. And number two, what I'm thinking is a lot of people feel, okay, let's get this done fast. We want to get back into it in a, in a fast way, but it's not going to take, it's not going to go so fast, but in our minds, we're thinking, so what's it going to be? I'm worried about this. What's going to be there? What's going to be then? Even when things open up, they start thinking it might be if it's a job or if it's the kids, whatever it is. Thinking in the long run, might you might bring on yourself some a little bit of anxiety, but if just take one day at a time and count your blessings. If things open up, things get a little bit easier. Enjoy that. Don't think in the long run to see where is this all going, what's it going to look like, and uh, a lot of people are worried about who knows if we don't want to say the, the it might happen again, and a lot of people are anxious about it. So what I'm saying is basically count your blessings, do what you were doing till now. If things open up, get a little bit easier, enjoy that one day at a time, just live in the moment. That's uh, my short answer. Thanks, Lachlan. Okay. Uh, maybe I have a little bit of a longer answer, but uh, as, as you were talking, I was re reminded of, uh, somebody many years ago who gave me a cassette tape. I don't know if anybody remembers what that was, but uh, a cassette tape of one of Rabbi Yisrael Reisman's Navi Shirim, and it was entitled Stress Management. It was a phenomenal shear. They're all phenomenal, of course, but this one really struck home with me. He says in the shear that, that, um, most stress comes from people who uh, are not able to, to satisfy their expectations. He gave an example of someone who he met who told him he wanted to say goodbye because he's leaving Brooklyn. He's moving to Muncie. So Rabbi Reisman asked him how come he's moving and he said because there's too much stress in Brooklyn. He has to move to Muncie. So Rabbi Reisman asked him, what's so stressful about living in Brooklyn? He said, well, there's no parking. In Muncie, it's easier to find parking. So Rabbi Reisman was thinking to himself, it could be this is a person who feels if he's going to go shopping on Avenue J, he's got to find a parking spot on Avenue J. And if he can't find a parking spot on Avenue J, he's going to circle around until he finds a spot on Avenue J. It could take him a half an hour. That's very stressful. But if he lived between K and L, he would never think of taking his car. He'd walk to Avenue J. So why wouldn't he park between K and L and then walk to Avenue J? And the answer is because some people feel that they have to have things exactly the way they want it to be, the way they're used to having it, the way they like to have it, and they just can't adjust to any changes. So he, he said in the shear that if you look at Mysa Beratius, 
there's three things in the creation of the world that did not turn out the way a Kaddish Baruch Hu had originally planned it to be. The first, we all know that the sun and the moon was supposed to be of equal size. But that's not how it ended up. Number two, all fruit trees were originally supposed to have the taste of the fruit. Today, only the estrid tree has that quality, and the other trees don't. That's why the trees were destroyed in the marble. And the third thing is that Adam and Chava were meant to live in Gan Eden in perpetuity, and they lasted not even till the end of the day. By the time Shabbos came in, they were kicked out of Gan Eden, as the Gemara and Sanhedrin tells us. Three things a Kaddish Baruch Hu planned to be one way, it didn't turn out to be that way. And after the six days of creation, the Kaddish Baruch Hu looked around at the world and he said, he looked at everything, tov ma'od. So Rabbi Reisman said, this is the words that he said in the Shir, the world we see, as perfect as it is, is a plan B world. It wasn't plan A, it was plan B. And if a Kaddish Baruch Hu could accept plan B and say it's tov ma'od, then maybe we can also learn to adjust and adapt to things that are not the way we like it, not the way we want it, and not the way we hope it'll be in the future. Adjusting to plan B and learning to accept plan B when you can't get plan A because it's not available is something that we're supposed to learn from my separatious, said Rabbi Reisman, and I think it can go a long way to reducing some of the stress that we're all experiencing now because we're not having things the way we'd like it to be, plan A, and learning to adapt to plan B. Beautiful. Let's try to cover on two more questions, okay? And then end it because there's just so many questions we want to ask. Sure. Okay, let's see if this, she's ready. Are you ready? Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> okay, so I have an interesting question. It could be it's just personal to our story, but how, as the mother of the house, and as the the spiritual, you know, um, spiritual leader, I don't know, the spiritual one in the house, um, how not to be the mashkiah? You know, the kids are usually in school, they dive in, they make brachos, they do it in the group setting, and here they are, you know, I got four kids, ages 14 to seven, and it's hard. It's hard. Um, you know, they're they're not motivated to dive, and they're not motivated to make brachos. Like, how do I do it? Is it normal that they should come up? Is it is it particular for my kids? You know, you know, I try to bribe them. I try to make it exciting. I don't want to. I don't want to be that parent that like forces things down their back, and they grow up to be you know hate it. But maybe that's my job. I don't know. It's a guilt, I guess, some other guilt. People are saying the same thing about schoolwork also. There's a lot of kids that don't, you know, do the Zoom and don't do the stuff. You know, it goes... Well, it goes for schoolwork, I find they, they do well because it's structure. They don't like to have freedom all day. Like, they really crave that. Yeah, maybe it's hard. And if they throw a fit during school, I don't feel bad so much because, you know, I guess that's... I don't know. They can't... I just don't want to bring God, you know, it's hard when they have to, they blame Hashem for it. If it's school, it's school. Who cares? You know, I don't know. This is just my, this is my question. I don't know if it's personal, but. We brought you, we brought you the best answers here. Thank you. 
I'm sure that question is shared by many other people. And let me try to, to offer you some, some thoughts on that. Certainly, parents have a very I just want, I just want to pause you, Dr. Wickle, for a second. As she was talking, I got four or five text messages. Please tell this woman she's not alone. This woman's asking questions for lots of us. Continue. Okay. Certainly, parents have a, a very monumental responsibility to be mechanach their children, the darke Hashem. That's a major, major responsibility the parents have. The question is, what's the best way to achieve that goal? What's the best method? So I just want to quote something that Roshamshin Rafael Hirsch said many years ago. He said, and I'm paraphrasing now, not using the exact words, but what's the most important thing that a child needs to learn from his parents? And we would say uh, social skills or Torah, many things would come to mind. But he says the most important thing a child needs to learn from the parents is how to walk on two feet instead of crawling. If a child is going to crawl, they're not going to get very far in life if they're walking on all fours. How do children learn to walk on two feet? Do the parents sit them down and give them a lecture on, how, on the benefits of walking on two feet instead of crawling? Do parents give them musr about it or threaten them or reward them or bribe them or threaten them? What do parents do to teach the child this very, very critical skill in life to walk on two feet? The answer is, they do it themselves. And the child sits there in the crib or on the floor, and all day long they're walk, looking back and forth how the grown-ups and the older children in the house are walking on two feet. And even before the child is able to speak, the child learns and says to himself, that looks like a better way of going around, getting around. I'd like to try that myself. And one day the child pulls himself up on the leg of a chair or a piece of furniture and stands up and screams. And the parent comes running, what is it? And they see the child standing. And the child is so frightened because it looks so scary from so high up. They're used to sitting down on the floor. And they plop down and everyone gets excited. And eventually they stand up again. And a little while later, they take their first step and everyone is excited and praises them. And that's a muscle for the most effective way to be mechanic children. You teach children to make brachas when you make brachas. And if I may say so myself, it, the brachas should be said out loud. As the Gemara says, when you say a bracha quietly, you're a ganif. What are you stealing? If you make a bracha quietly, you're stealing the opportunity for the person who could listen to say amen. Because I'll say the Amen is of greater value than the bracha itself. So you can teach your children to make brachas by making brachas yourself. Make them out loud. Make it a point of saying it out loud in their presence. And do the things that you want them to do. And then when they do it, you can definitely reinforce it, praise them for it, 
encourage them for it. But that, I think, is the most effective way to be mechanic your children in the things you want them to do. And if they're not doing it yet, I wouldn't make such an issue over it. And just continue you and your husband to do what you want them to do and set a good example and encourage them when they even make a small step, a partial step. The, the two most important words I'd want everyone to remember from what I spoke about this evening is partial credit and give them partial credit. They don't make the brachas all the time. They don't say it all the time out loud, but whenever they do, pounce on the opportunity to praise them for it. And I think you'll see that you could be more effective that way than any other method. Beautiful, beautiful answer. Ah, thank, doctor, your answer was, I really enjoyed the answer. It's a uh, very good awareness. Uh, but um, it's just good to be, become, be aware that it's hard for the parents to let go. You know, you have expectations. And now nothing is the way it used to be. And you know, things are out of the norm. But just sure. to be able to just to be able to see them, you know, one day it does daven, one day it doesn't daven. It's very important, I would say, take it into your to be to be aware how you feel. You're standing in the corner of the kitchen or in the dining room, and you're thinking to yourself, she or he didn't daven yet. She's not doing what she's supposed to do. Should I say something? I shouldn't say something. Becoming aware of what you want to say, and then say, "Oops, I'm not going to say anything. I'll just praise." what they are doing that's that's a could be very hard but i think now is the time that we become aware of these things but uh beautiful let's take one more i know we're pushing it but i want to tell you people keep on asking i'm, I'm super impressed tonight from the crowd that we have here that people are just simply using the time that you're giving to really get real answers that we're all dealing with in one version or another let's get real Dr. Wickler, one more. Ready? Okay. Okay. You're on. Say hello. Hello. Yes. Okay. So, um, I know that this is not a good time and like people are really getting sick and they're dying and it's not a vacation, but I'm enjoying this time. Like I'm getting, I happen to be getting paid anyway even if I'm at home and I just love that everyone in my family's home we're all together we're just doing like relaxing just having time to be like not having to rush rush to this appointment to that to go out with friends just time to be alone and like just be with myself and be able to think about stuff um like I got to take care of things that I never got to take care of before I'm catching up on my college work um, I'm just, I'm kind of enjoying it. And now that things are starting to get back to normal, like for example, our shul opened up for 10 people on this past Javis. And I don't know why, I'm just starting to get like, I don't know what these feelings are exactly. It's just not good ones. I'm just feeling maybe it's anxiety or something. But is there anything I can tell myself just to calm down and like, this is normal life. It's not going to it's going we're going to a bad situation. It happens to be good that like, okay, the, the virus is getting better. But I don't know why, like I'm just having anxiety or something. Like, I don't know. 
Basically, the way I'm understanding the question is that some people have a different problem. They enjoy the vacation so much. They enjoy the time to catch up on the work. They enjoy the time with their spouses. And I discussed this before because somebody wanted to ask this question. But now that things are starting to go back to regular, since we got so, some people got so happy and content with relaxed, there's no running to work, there's no driving. One guy, a friend of mine, I'm going to, Yankee, I'm saying it for you. He says he works an hour and a half away. He doesn't commute. He's getting paid the same. He loves his wife. He loves his children. It has been the most beautiful extended vacation he's ever had. But now as things are slowly transitioning back, he feels like, I don't want it to go back. Not in the schlecht way. So how do we go back to regular? How do we go back to school after the, after the summer? Okay. My response to that would be that the Bale Musser say that all experiences in life are nisyonas. Now we understand how a negative experience is a nisyon, something that we're suffering with or a, a, a problem that we're having is a nisyon because we have to try to overcome it. But positive experiences are also nisyonas. And the nisyon of a positive experience is how can we learn and grow from the positive experience to take with us for the rest of our lives. So if there's anything about the last few weeks, the lockdown, that some people have especially enjoyed, benefited from, relished, and looked forward to, and now it may be ending, and they may even feel some disappointment about that, my suggestion for how to deal with that is to look at, at what you experienced that was positive, look at what you enjoyed, and see is there some way you can bring some of that with you back into the, the, the old normal. Is there some way you can find opportunities, even with the old schedule, to have a little bit of what you enjoyed during this time to plan and figure and problem solve how you can make that transition by trying to hold on not by stopping time or preventing forward movement but by bringing a little of the positive experience that you had during during this period with you into the rest of your life that's my suggestion Coach Menachem, anything to say? Uh, you know what I'm going to say. You just sit down with your pen and paper. <laughs> <laughs> this is, everybody is learning something. And some people, when this all happened, they started feeling all stressed out. Other people said, wow, this is what I was waiting for. I'm working so hard, running and running. We live in a, in a world that's full of stress. Not a minute to think. And when everything stopped, Wow, this is exactly what I want. So everybody is learning new things. Now, how, how do you become aware of the things that you didn't like before this? So you could visualize or try to remember what life was in the past or visualize everything going back to normal and you have all these feelings that you're not sure what they are and see what, which part of it bothers you. and once you become aware of them, 
you can take it to the next level and see what could I do about it. But this is all, all about the step number one, is the awareness part, is the foundation. If you can figure that out, then you'll be able to go to the next level and see what can I do, like Dr. Wickler said, what could I bring into my regular life and make sure that I do what I have to do in a relaxed manner. I don't have to run, even though the whole world is running, I do what I have to do. So find some time. Now is the time before life starts getting back. You know, there's only 10 in the shul, don't let 10. So tomorrow they might let 15. And this is going to go very fast, Amir Hashem. So do it now and figure it out, write it down. And Amir Hashem, you should have and everybody else out there. Now is the time because tomorrow everything's going to be different. And a day later, the things are changing so fast. And, and Hashem is sending us all of these messages. We have to figure ourselves out. There's no time. Every day, take a few minutes and say, where am I? Like we discussed before, you can ask your spouse, how are you doing? How are you feeling? How's it going? And you can even be vulnerable and say, for me, actually, this is something hard. I don't know how I'll manage. Let me try. And you discuss it. And uh, I think we're going to end with that. Do we have another question? No, we're going to end with that. Two, I have two things to say. And then we're going we're gonna to close it. It was a beautiful session. I want to first say, one person wrote me a text. My wife's very good friend, Tamima. And I just want to read it out loud because I think it's actually a very, very good, very good message. Can we use partial credit on ourselves? Like if we don't dab in so much or be so amazing, is that okay? Can we use our own partial credit on ourselves? Isn't that beautiful? Yes. And the answer is absolutely. Absolutely. And partial credit doesn't mean that we, we don't have higher goals for ourselves or we're just going to be satisfied and not grow or, or try to improve in any way. But giving ourselves partial credit means we're at least acknowledging how much we've, how far we've come, what we have accomplished, appreciating what we've accomplished. And we can still try to accomplish more, but at least appreciating what we have accomplished, even if it isn't perfect, even if we didn't get all the way there. Absolutely, people need to give themselves partial credit as well as give it to each other. Absolutely. Okay, I just want to again say uh, this was an amazing program. Dr. Luka, really, really appreciate your willingness to come on so nicely. Nasva Nishma, Kabachuas. I can't wait to eat my cheesecake this week. I'm starving. Okay. And um, it was a beautiful program. I'm actually, I have to tell you, the, this most amazing part of this program versus all the other programs we did, we've never had so much um, people from the audience just asking, being open. It's, 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 it was mind boggling, I have to be honest with you. I, I have so many more people. If I didn't have to go to sleep, you know, I would have to give myself partial credit. I need to take a rest. So I'm going to go to sleep, but uh, we can go for another hour or two. But it was really nice. You have a beautiful crowd. And I just wanted to first of all, again, say to, for, first of all, this is uh, Leon Nishmas, very good friend of mine, Tuvia's brother-in-law, whose yard site was tonight. He just texted me. So he, he was a bacha that was nifter not too long ago. Menachem Mendel Alevi, Ben Shalom Alevi, Borchat. Should be a big discussion of Shama. The real big shayach was the corporate sponsor, my... My my uh, my my daf yomi shir magat shir Nachum Sanzer, who said get Dr. Wickler on Nachum next who's next no, and we really appreciate our corporate sponsor Nachum Sanzer Dynamic Therapy again special thank you to Chayla Kauf and Ted Matzah for always sponsoring us a big shout out to the Lakewood News Network LNN the most viewed status in Lakewood for being our sponsor and always pushing us and I want to give a special thank you again to Dr. Wickler to Coach Nachum for dedicating the time to this program the point of the program is really to be mechazek people to have an open platform. And I wanted to mention one other thing, and then I'm going to push it over to Coach Menachem and then you, Dr. Wickler. I wanted to say one thing about Coach Menachem. 
Can I get personal or it's too private? Well, you'll ask me first. No, I'll ask me first. <laughs> let me, let me, I, was, I was once with very older people and they, the memory wasn't so good and they were arguing about what they should pack and what they shouldn't pack. We were already traveling in the car because they didn't, they, the guy forgot something. So they started screaming at each other. The, the husband told the wife, did you pack my shoes? Did you pack my shoes? The wife said, stop screaming. We'll pack when we get there. Don't worry about it. So I'll tell you the question afterwards. But I want to say about six months ago, seven, no, it was probably about more like a year ago, me and Coach Menachem sat down and we actually journaled, and I'm not a journal guy, I'm not at all. And we journaled a bunch of things that were bothering me personally at the time, things that I wanted. And I look back at the list now and you see out of the 80 things that we wrote, how much percentage of it already either passed or not in a gale or how much we grew from it. And I just want to mention now that we go through this time and now we all are passing Corona, in three months from now, it's going to be business as usual. It's not going to be different. So I think it is an important thing to write down the things we learned or the, whether it was a beautiful time, whether it was a hard time, things we learned about our spouses, things we learned about our kids. And we'll look back in three months or six months from now, we'll be like, wow, I can't believe that. So I just want to tell that to Coach Menachem. And everybody, thank, thank you. you for coming. And Coach Menachem, did I take away your speech? Did I steal from you? Thank you very much. You're welcome. But it's a, there's a method behind it. You can't just sit down and uh, write it down. First of all, you have to find a good friend to do it. I found one. And uh, there's a Mahalach how to do it. Maybe we'll have one show on uh, how to write a journal. We'll call an author. <laughs> Very good. So I also want to thank everyone out there. And whoever wants to sponsor should reach out to Ushi and they can reach out to me. And uh, thank you very much for tonight's sponsor and for all the other sponsors. Thank you, Dr. Wickler, for giving us um, your valuable time. And uh, Hashem should help us all. We should grow from this awareness and um, everybody with whatever they need, the relationships, shall bias and with the kids. And in Mitzvah we should be zoichet to the real Yeshua. And we'll go back to the base Medrash, but really we, we want to go to the base Hamigdash, the Karav. Amen. Dr. Wickler. Well, I also want to thank you uh, for giving me this wonderful opportunity to participate in this tremendous uh, platform that you've created. Uh, Rabbi Usher, um, I hope your boss is not listening to the program tonight because- Actually, it was Eleil Nishmas, his brother-in-law. Because I was gonna suggest that uh, you give up your day job because I think you're terrific at this. You have a personality that's just, just right for, for hosting and you do a terrific job. And Coach Menachem, I wanna say that you have the, such a warm smile I think you could melt the polar ice cap, and I can understand how everybody who comes to see you must feel very, very understood and comfortable in uh, consulting you. I, I did want to say just uh, in, in closing that uh, I'm certainly not paskening halacha for anybody, but on, on an emotional level, I think everybody should feel that they would want to bench Goimel after this whole thing is over. Because whether, whether we had the virus and recovered or whether we never contracted it altogether, this devastating, destructive, horrific machla that swept through the, the whole world, I think each one of us should really feel an unbelievable debt of a karasatov to a karash baruch And in regard to that, I just wanted to share a, a short anecdote that I was to hear regarding um, Rav Shlomo Brebdes at Sal, uh, 
way up there on that list that I mentioned before, Lechaz De Hashem in my life was the opportunity that I had to have a close kesher with Rabbi Brebda Vassal, who actually lived in my house for a, for a month. It's a whole long story. I'm not going to go into that now, but uh, he, he used to say that when he was a bucher and he was learning in Eretz Israel shortly after the War of Independence, he went somewhere at night to visit somebody. And when he came back, it wasn't that late. But since the country was trying to, to save money as much as possible, they turned off the street lights very early in the evening. And it was totally black in the streets. And it wasn't too safe. And he was quickly trying to get back to his dear where he was staying. And he was running through the streets of Yerushalayim and it was pitch black. And all of a sudden he stopped. And he remembered that on the way to this person's home that he had visited, he had gone up a very steep flight of stone steps. And he realized that he's going to encounter the same staircase on the way back, but he couldn't see where it was. And he realized if he's running quickly and he gets to that staircase and doesn't realize it, it could be a terrible calamity. So he decided he really needs to walk more slowly. Otherwise, he could get severely hurt. And he just pushed his right foot forward a little bit to feel where he was going and realized he was standing exactly at the top of that staircase. Had he not stopped exactly when he did, it would have been a very, very different story. He came home, went to sleep. The next morning, he davened a regular davening. He ate breakfast. He said a regular birchas amazon. And when he finished benching, he said to himself, how could I... Daven a regular davening, bench a regular benching, like I do every day, no different after a Kaddish Baruch who saved my life last night, and I haven't changed. And the question bothered him so much that he took the next bus to Bnei Brak and went into the Chazanish Zetzal, and he asked him this question. He wanted to understand how is that possible. And the Chazanish heard the question, he got up from his seat. He walked over to the window. He stared out the window as if he was talking to himself. And he said, of course, in Yiddish, but he said, they look, but they don't see. They look, but they don't see. And he turned around. He came back to Rebrev, as a bacher at the time. He said, I'll tell you the answer to your question. You, you ask a good question. The answer is, there's a special Sutton whose job it is to make sure that when a Kaddish Baruch Hu does Nisan for you, that it has no impact on you. And you just go ahead, life as usual. He says, I'm telling you, if you make an effort, if you really try and fight, you can overcome that Sutton. And Rebrevda heard those words, went back to Yerushalayim, and he made up his mind there and then, for the rest of his life, he's going to fight that Sutton. And all of us are encountering that Sutton. We have been spared. If, we're, if you're listening to this program now, if you're hearing the sound of my voice, a Kaddish Baruch Hu has either cured you or spared you from a horrific, horrific machla. And we all need to be maketov to a Kaddish Baruch Hu for that chesed and try to keep that alive 
and be makitov to a Kaddish Baruch for all of his chasadim, all the all day long and all all the rest of our lives, and hopefully in that way we'll be able to grow from these kinds of experiences, and and accomplish everything that we we need to in dealing with this nisayan. I thank you again for inviting me and giving me this opportunity. Thank you very much, Dr. Wickler. Thank you, Coach Menachem. I want to tell everybody on, we're doing this every Sunday night at 10.15. Next week, we have a super dynamic, Dr. Wickler, you're going to love this one. Three therapists on together. Dr. David Rosemarin, who has a PhD from Harvard, is an assistant professor in Harvard. We have Ellie Shapiro, who's a therapist in Queens. And we have Dr. Mordechai Weiss from Lakewood, who's an addiction specialist. We'll be discussing technology from a scientific point of view, what the effects it has and what to do with it. And you're gonna hear from the PhD professor from Harvard, some amazing stuff, I was blown away. So it's something, uh, it's gonna be mind blowing. Just letting everybody know, it's gonna be really interesting. Dr. Wiggler, thank you again. Everybody, good night. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.